Welcome to the Pain of Scale, the Notion podcast exploring the most critical challenges for venture-backed tech entrepreneurs along the startup, grow-up, and scale-up journey. Every two weeks, we speak to founders, experts, and venture capitalists from around the world about their experiences. And we are back to talk about fundraising today, Stephen. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, Paul. And yourself? Very, very good. And fundraising is, I mean, this is what you do at Notion. So it must be something (laughs) you're very good at, right? Well, it's it's something we do. Obviously, that's our job. But actually, it's also, you know, one of the most critical jobs for any founder to understand the, the source of capital. I mean, it doesn't have to be venture capital, but we need to understand the source of capital that we can use to grow our businesses. And when I look back at the... Gosh, I think we've done 50 plus recordings now. The fundraising episodes are nearly always the most listened to of all of them. And it's a hot topic and and people always want to hear about kind of first-hand experiences. Whose first-hand experience we will get today then? We're joined today by Christina Fonseca. Christina is a Portuguese tech entrepreneur. She's probably best known as one of the co-founders of, of TalkDesk, which was, I think uh, I'm right in saying, what became Portugal's third tech unicorn back in 2018 after it raised over 100 million at a valuation of over a billion dollars. Christina is now a, uh, a technology investor herself. She's co-founder of Indico Capital Partners, and she's been a prolific tech entrepreneur and investor within the Portuguese industry as well. So delighted to have you here, Christina, joining us, and welcome very much along to the show. Thanks for having me. Really a pleasure. So I was looking back on the list of all the fundraising that TalkDesk had undertaken. And actually, we were reflecting on the, on the fact that, uh, that I met you, I think, eight years ago when um, Notion was running an event with Salesforce and you were pitching, I think, at the time for, for seed investment. Over the years, you've raised for some really high-profile investors, two that jump out at me, uh, 500 startups and then Storm Ventures, who I know pretty well. Um, but you've raised more than 100 million over seven years. When you reflect back on that. What did you really learn most from that experience? <laughs> I learned a lot of things, especially because back then, like both me and Tiago, we were very young, naive. We had no idea coming from Portugal. It's also a very different mindset. I remember when we went to the US and we did 500 startups, a big learning was why is everyone talking about raising money? Like, why do we need money? Because the way for you to build a business in Portugal would be like you create value, you sell that to customers, customers pay, boom, that's it. <laughs> uh, there's no friends and family. There were no business angels. So the first shock was, okay, there's a new way to build tech companies. And that actually opens up a lot of interesting opportunities, meaning you don't need to be restricted to the Portuguese borders anymore and you can create a global business. But I think the the main lessons in terms of of fundraising and, and going through this journey is that you need to be prepared that every six months you have a different company and you need different talent. You need people that kind of tell you what to do. But what made TalkFest a success story it is today was the type of investors we got. And because we were very, very open to work with these investors, we got very good recommendations from like, if you think Jason Lemkin, <laughs> like you need to hire this VP, you need to hire that VP. Everything was new for us. We were absorbing all this. And I mean, of course, making our judgment and, and doing our own trajectory. But the VCs we got on board made a big, big difference. So that, that's what I tell entrepreneurs today. Not all the money is the same. 
So make sure you, you you get money from the right investors. Is there anything you'd do particularly differently if you were going back to the beginning of TalkDesk from a fundraising investment perspective? Both from fundraising and hiring perspective, it took us a while to raise that seed investment. And we hired slowly because of that. I think at some point we were a little bit stuck. We had amazing customers. We were growing kind of organically, but we had no idea what would be the correct way of taking the company to the next level. So we didn't maintain any relationships with with investors. We were on our own. And then we decided, okay, we think like, let's ask Jason Lemkin for an opinion because he's very experienced on this and a great investor. And then he ended up writing as a term sheet. But I regret not having to keep a connection with a couple of investors early on because we could have used some help to hire yeah. faster, to, to, to put the right foundation in place. Because what happened was when we raised that 3 million round, we had to catch up a little bit. Then one year after we raised 21 million, and in one year we went from 30 people to 150, which as you might imagine, it's like tough <laughs> from all kinds of <laughs> perspectives. And that was because we were away from the fundraising scene and we were very focused on the business. So I would, I would keep that a little bit more balanced. I think your very starting point is really interesting, though, you know, that says actually the business starts with value. And, and clearly you did start with delivering value. So mm-hmm. perhaps that bit doesn't change. But being conscious of the fact that there is great money and great support out there that can accelerate the business is, is a key thing for any, any founder to, to reflect on. Exactly. But th- those are the right words. So VC money is best used when you have a business that needs acceleration. And things nowadays are a little bit, not necessarily in that order all the time, but that was what made a big difference for TalkDesk. We created value and then we used VC money to scale that as fast as we could. Starting a little bit delayed, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I, I think that's exactly spot on. And I think, you know, VC money best used when a business needs accelerating, I think is should be something that every founder should kind of have, you know, written on their desk, probably. But when you reflect back on that journey, and so you raised uh, 500 startups, and then Storm Ventures, and then I can't remember the names of the others, forgive me. The FJ Salesforce. So how do you think about the differences between the seed investment and, for example, the, the Series A investment? What stayed the same? And what did you have to change to secure that capital? I mean, going from 3 million seed to 21 million series A in 12 months is quite extraordinary. What changed in that time? So basically at at seed stage, uh, what you do is sell the dream and the opportunity, but basically it's about the team and the vision and the validation that you have at that time. Then at series A, you sell the growth, the curve up into the right curve and the opportunity. So I would say that round was growth driven because we were actually growing at very good rates. And that was what made us raise that round. And that's why it was so fast because we we were trying to catch up. We were slowly in hiring and scaling. We were a little bit afraid. Uh, We were in our comfort zone, building product. We had customers, everything was, was great. And then when we raised seed, we hired the first VP. We opened the office in the US. We started increasing burn rate significantly, but things were going very well. But with more money, we could go even faster. 
So it was matching that opportunity with the growth rates and the good trajectory we were following at that time. How did that change as you moved on to the Series B and beyond? (laughs) Series B. So Series A is about selling the growth and the opportunity. At Series B, I would say you have to show the spreadsheets and it's all about very solid metrics. Actually, it's like the type of investors, the, the, the type of process is completely different. What works at Series A probably doesn't work at Series B anymore. You need experience, CFO, like even in the way you need to structure your company to be prepared to raise a Series B, it's completely different. It's interesting. Some things stay very much the same. Invariably, the vision and aspects of the team, but a lot of other things do need to change as you move through that kind of that escalator. And I, I like that as a, as a kind of a, a real kind of simple model. Seed stage, the team and the vision. Series A, selling the growth. Series B, showing the spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) Show me the numbers. (laughs) Show me the numbers. So reflecting on that, what fundraising advice do you give to founders now who are kind of setting on a similar journey to yourself? In terms of advice, I always tell founders, raise from the best investors. Not all money is equal. And that's going to make a big, big difference. Founders, of course, they don't realize that early on because... They just think they need money to execute. And then money is probably just the the short-term concern. But there will be lots of concerns that investors can really help them solve. And founders should absolutely plan for that. And then there's something else, which is don't put the bar too high for yourself. Which now with the chasing unicorns mentality, everyone wants to raise at the best valuation they can. There's a threshold after which you are putting the bar too high for you. And if you don't hit the bar on the execution side, maybe your next fundraising round will be very, very difficult to raise. So there's a balance that you need to account for. It's not just raising at the best possible valuation because nowadays, most likely you will find an investor that's willing to pay more, but account for that. It's a trap. It's kind of a trap that most founders don't think about. And you can understand why the first time around that that's actually something you want to achieve, but it really can cause problems for you further down the line. How did you strike that balance when you were at TalkDesk? Honestly, for us, we were like, we raised at the best valuation we could at all times. And we were able to execute accordingly. Things have gone quite well for us. But Sometimes it took us a little bit more to raise than probably investors were expecting. And it's because probably the bar was a bit higher than our colleagues that were in a similar position when we raised our Series A. And then, I mean, of course, there's a lot of details and there's things are more complex than they might seem. But for us, our balance was always raised at the best valuation, but keep growing super fast. But if you look at the timings of our fundraising rounds over the years, they are not standard. And that reflects the fact that at some point we push the valuation too high and then you need a little bit more time to execute. Uh, In our case, we had a choice because we were never in a situation where we were running out of money, but that can end in in a bad situation if you're not careful. Yeah, that makes sense. So look, now you, you're one of the few female founders who's now co-founder of a venture capital firm in, in Europe. And I'm interested in what, what do you now look for as a, as a VC 
And what are the characteristics of the companies and the founders that you value the most? So in terms of what we look for, we are an early stage fund, meaning seed to series A. So first of all, we look for an amazing team. We need to make sure the people that are in the driving seat, that they are motivated to execute, that they are very good at what they do. Most of the times it's technically Portugal and, and Spain where we are focused on there's very good tech talent. So that's a very important component. And besides being very ambitious, we like to say that they also need to be coachable because it's about being able to evolve. Every six months, they're going to have a different company. So they need to evolve at that pace. Then in terms of markets, like the usual, you need to see a solution that's 10x better or the founders found like an unfair advantage or the market is huge and the execution capabilities are unbelievable. So the things make sense on that front. And I would say these are the most important things. It's team and the way you are approaching the market. I want to dig into one thing that you've mentioned a couple of times, which I, I find intriguing. And I'm, I'm thinking I'm probably writing my own version of the answer to the question, which is, what do you mean they're going to have a new company every six months? And then how do they adapt to that? I just wonder if you could just explain a little bit more about what you mean, because it sounds like a really interesting kind of thought process. When you are running a tech company and you are growing super fast every six months, you need to have new functions, I would say. So there's either a new department that you have to create, that's either a new super senior VP that, that you need to bring on board. There's management layers that you are not anticipating for. At the beginning, you hire a lot of individual contributors. Some of those will evolve to be team leads, managers, whatever. But there will be a lot of people that you need to bring from the outside. And then in our case, we had to create so many new teams, functions, whatever, that I felt every six months I had to replace myself. And the organization was very, very different. So that's in that context that I say founders need to be prepared to grow so fast and to let go of things that they were probably used to do today. But six months from now, they will be doing something totally different and probably they hired a person to take care of whatever they were doing six months ago and reinvent the organization. Or maybe you discovered that now you're moving to enterprise the skills needed to approach that market are completely different. So founders need to be ready for this type of personal journey, which is challenging. How do you check for that when you're looking at investing in, in companies? It's a process. And it's not something that, of course, it's not something that you decide at the first meeting. It's something that you see the way you collaborate with founders, the way you challenge them during the analysis process. I would say it's less science and more art because like, it's not something that you can check with a checklist, but it's the process. Like We challenge founders a lot. We give them homework. The way they deliver all that tells you a lot about how they are going to behave when they are asked to grow faster or maybe hire people that they were not expecting to hire or maybe consider other types of markets or maybe being in Iberia, like in the South, as you guys from the North say a, a lot of times, most of the founders need to leave the place where they started the company. Those discussions help us understand if founders are ready or not for this journey where they need to adapt to new things all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. 
So, Christina, you founded the business in um, TalkDesk in in Lisbon. You guys relocated to the the West Coast of America. You've had an amazing kind of journey there. And then you come back to Portugal. How different are the ecosystems? And what do you really need to see happen for Portugal and Southern Europe to live up to its potential? Portugal and the US are very different, of course. Europe and the US, we could have a, a long discussion about that. But I also think the last 10 years changed these dynamics considerably. Ten years ago, when we started, no one knew what an entrepreneur was in Lisbon. And today, there are so many companies moving here that it feels a completely different city. You go out for lunch, you hear Americans speaking on the streets. This was not the case a couple of years ago. I think Portugal has an unfair advantage in terms of technical talent. And if you compare the European mentality with the American one, people are way more collaborative. And also because there's a social system where you are taught to care about the ones around you, right? While in the US, it's a little bit more selfish mentality because, I mean, like no one takes care of me. Why am I going to worry about my colleagues? First, I need to take care of myself. So that creates different dynamics at work, which I find very interesting and challenging. In Lisbon specifically, what was missing was capital. Thus, me and my partner, Stefan and Ricardo, we started working on the fund. We were the first institutional independent VC in the country, which you might think it's surprising, but gives you a sense of where we are in the process of creating a tech ecosystem that's healthy. Probably 10 years behind London, but let's see. Now everything moves faster, so... We are working hard to catch up. And then you see a lot of different companies moving to Lisbon. So there's all these multinationals that are setting up offices in Portugal. The US became a lot more competitive. It's impossible to hire tech talent. Even at TalkDesk, for a while, we thought we would have engineering teams in the US and in Portugal. And now... Like that's not a strategy because it's impossible to to hire people there and keep them there. So we just decided to double down on the efforts to have a super solid team, engineering team in Portugal. And lots of other companies are doing that, opening offices, bringing people from abroad, also hiring local people, raising salaries a lot. So there's very interesting dynamics happening. I would say it's the effect of also a lot of competition in the States and, and in other geographies. But what's going to happen in the next couple of years is going to be very, very interesting, in my opinion. I, for one, am really excited to know that I've got the opportunity to work with you on one of, I think, one of the most exciting companies in our portfolio, which is the Lisbon-based company Unbabble. And you guys are coming on the most recent round. So I'm delighted to have you working alongside us there. But I'm also really excited at the thought of being able to invest alongside you in some of the companies that you will be nurturing at Seed and perhaps us coming in as a Series A investor in the near future because I think with your kind of support there, I think um, those companies will be really well prepared. So that's an exciting prospect. We are working super hard to make that happen. (laughs) Believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Christina. It's been lovely speaking to you and looking forward to working with you on Unbabble as well. My pleasure. Great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Christina. So Stephen, that was that was a great one, right? Yeah, it's fascinating, and and you know, I, I I learned so much from all of these um the podcasts, and you know, as I said at the beginning, I think the fundraising ones are, are always a couple of the most popular, and there's two 
fundraising podcast we've done in the last two years, one with Joss White, who mm-hmm. obviously, similar to Christina, reflects on his experience as a, as a founder then turned investor. So that was the episode in series two. And then in series one of the current um, program, Beth Nieres yeah. was the SVP of, of strategy at New Voice Media when in around about 18 months, they raised well over 100 million. And that was a, a, also another really fascinating insight to the challenge. I'm sure this one will be pretty well received as well. Oh, so. yeah. Above and beyond well received. So what are we doing next? We have one more, I think, to go for this uh, we, series. We have one more, which we will be talking about you know, playing the long game. So yes. exiting, exiting, yes. and thinking about how we can engineer companies that not only achieve massive outcomes, but also endure as well. Well, see you then, then. Look forward to it. Remember, you can find an in-depth write-up of this interview, along with the dozens and dozens we've done on the Notion website at notion.vc under resources. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify and Google Podcast. Thank you.